Welcome to the Talk Angry Podcast, your destination for Shocker basketball. Join us every episode from the Forge Audio Production Studio as we dive into game recaps, analysis, and interviews throughout the 2019-20 basketball season. And now, here are your hosts, Dustin Kuhn and Taylor Eldridge. Welcome to Talk Angry with Kuhn and Eldridge on our season recap show. We discuss no more basketball, changes in the Shocker roster. We'll also be joined by C.J. Moore, who covers college basketball and the Midwest college basketball teams for The Athletic. And, of course, we'll look ahead to next season and get you ready for a new era of Shocker basketball. Great show coming up right after this. The Talk Angry Podcast is brought to you by Forge Audio Productions. For all your audio and music production needs, Forge Audio is ready to deliver the highest quality production that serves the artist. To receive a free consultation or quote from Brian, visit www.forgeaudioprod.com. That's www.forgeaudioprod.com. Or follow the studio on Facebook or Instagram. And now back to the show. Welcome back to Talk Angry with Kuhn and Eldridge. Just been a few weeks since our last show, but my, how has the college basketball and really the world changed since we last talked? Our last show was the AAC Tournament Preview Show. I actually flew down to Dallas on that Wednesday, and as we're flying down there, we're hearing about the cheerleaders having to turn around their bus, players not being sure if they're going to be able to play the tournaments. We start to see conference tournaments across the uh, country canceled. Of course, the NCAA Tournament canceled, and all of us living in a different world right now. So first of all, for those listening to this, we hope you and your family are safe, taking precautions here with this coronavirus virus. But Taylor, my first question to you, what have you thought about all of it, really everything that's transpired over the last couple of weeks, particularly no more college basketball since our last show? Yeah, things have uh, things have changed quite a bit since we have last talked. I've been very, very busy the last two weeks with uh, the comings and goings of, of the players. And, you know, it's just been such a whirlwind of events where, you know, for so long, you know, they were just getting pounded with transfers you know seven transfers leave the most in the country at the time and you know they were just you know bad news after bad news after bad news and then all of that flipped in a 72-hour period uh they get all three gilbert and then you know that's the first domino that fell they get three guys the next day another guy on the following day and you know all of a sudden wsu and greg marshall have you know retooled the roster and they're feeling pretty good about, you know, the core that they have right now that's on the roster. So it's been, you know, a crazy whirlwind of events. And, yeah, you know, basketball, it's just weird not watching, you know, March Madness, not watching, you know, games or games live on television. They're showing all these replays now. But, you know, I I really, really missed, uh, you know, the postseason. I loved, you know, traveling and covering games and, you know, watching big-time games. And it would have been fun to see if, you know, this WSU team – could have made a run you know they were they're gearing up for one and who knows you know what would have happened if the shockers you know they, they go down to uh, fort worth and you know maybe they reach the, the championship game and, and go to the NCAA tournament win a game or two you know does this stuff still happen who knows we'll never know that but you know there are a lot of what ifs at the end of the season and you know you have to feel a little bad for uh, Jaime Echenique you know not to get that chance to play in the NCAA tournament his last year but on the flip side you know, that last game, you know, that's about as good as it could have got, you know, the, the Tulsa win at home at Coke Arena, senior day, he plays well, WSU crushes 
he gets to kiss the court. Uh, so that was a really good memory for him to end on, but still, you know, he wanted to, to play in the NCAA tournament so bad. So I have to feel a little sorry for him, but yeah, I mean, it's just been a, a crazy last three weeks. You talk about Echenique, you know, I saw a point that was made over the weekend. It hasn't been since the 2011 NIT championship team that a shocker team could leave on a win. And so, you know, Echenique getting to kiss the floor and having that moment certainly was great uh, for him. little disappointed, you know, you, I know some fans hoped he might be able to have an extra year of eligibility, but the NCAA grants those to the spring athletes, not to the winter athletes. And I think that all makes sense. And, and he's going to play professionally and, and earn a living playing basketball and so certainly wish him a lot of luck we're recording this on friday april 3rd this weekend actually would have been the final four in atlanta the first final four since the shockers were there in 2013 so certainly some memories there as we look to all the volatility or or changes that we've seen in the shocker roster over these last couple weeks you know a lot has been made about you know really it's eight players that have left seven scholarship players but i will say you know, just like Aaron Rodgers tweeted that runtime to all the Green Bay Packer fans that were freaking out, you got to relax sometimes. I, I think a lot of these folks, you could see the reasoning behind it. These were folks that were were leaders on their high school or their their uh, you know academy teams coming up. They expected to come in and, and have a lot of uh, playing time. The sophomores on this team are coming off what they thought was a good finish in the NIT, so they had high expectations. The freshmen, we talked at the beginning of the season, this was maybe Greg Marshall's you know best recruiting class that he's ever brought in so they have high expectations and I think their their youth was ultimately their demise in that you have so many freshmen and sophomores that had such high expectations but unfortunately there's just not enough minutes to go around yeah and I think it just really the the genesis of this whole problem dates back to that 2018 offseason where you know they had the six seniors they have Landry Shamit declaring for the NBA. They have Austin Reeves as a surprise transfer. You know, CJ Kaiser has to move on. So nine scholarships they had to fill that offseason. And the way that they filled them, I think if they, they had a time machine and could go back, I think they would have done it a little differently, splitting up the classes, getting more JUCO, more grad transfers. Uh, instead, you know, they brought in six freshmen, and that's just, you know, too much as they've found out because, you know, you have all those young guys on the team. And, you know, last season you had Marcus McDuffie as kind of the guy that had been around the block. He knew, you know, he had been with Fred and Ron. He had been through the fire. You know, he knew how tough practices, how tough the season was going to be. So he could kind of, you know, when things got rough, things, you know, players got down on themselves. He was there to be able to say, hey, I've been in your shoes. You know, I know what it's like, but you have to just keep going on. Things are going to be okay. And I think this last season, that's when the problem caught up with it was, you know, when Marcus moved on, now you look at the roster and, you know, Asbjorn Mikar was the only one that had been in the program for longer than, you know, one year coming into the season. And, you know, obviously with uh, with him, you know, not playing very many minutes, you know, he just doesn't have the same voice as like a Marcus McDuffie or, you know, Rashard Kelly, Shaquille Morris, you know, seniors like that. So um, I think that was just the just the fact that everyone was so young they are all going through the you know experiencing things at the same time at the you know relatively the same class you know they're freshmen sophomores and you know everyone had been there for two years or less basically and you know there wasn't someone up here that could say it's going to be okay like you need to you know just suck it up and, and get through it and and you know things will be okay and i think that was 
where the problem was, was not having, you know, a grad transfer or a Juco guy uh, along with Jaime this season. So I think that was where the problem was. And, you know, you mentioned just the, the playing time issues and some of the role issues. I think people, you know, it's different when you come into a program and you're sitting behind a senior. I mean, you can understand that. It's like this guy's been here the whole time. It's his last year. You know, as a freshman or sophomore, it's not that big of a deal. But, like, when you're sitting behind a sophomore or a sophomore sitting behind a freshman, you know, they look around and say, hey, you know, this guy is not that much older than me. You know, why is he playing in front of me? Why is this guy getting minutes? And then also, you know, long-term, like, what's going to change? So I think it was just a combination of a lot of things. And, you know, obviously some of the things have been brought uh, brought into light with, you know, Eric Stevenson, his interview with me. He, uh, you know, brought some things to light about, you know, the coaching staff. And, uh, his, I mean, he just spoke from his experience. You know, obviously that's just one player. Uh, but, you know, he said that, you know, some of the uh, the, the way they were treated and uh, in terms of just, you know, killing their confidence, is that, that was kind of the phrase that he used is he just didn't feel like, you know, he was, you know, that first half of the season, he felt like he was playing really well and then things started to not go well. And, you know, that was just compounded by, you know, what he felt like was the coaching staff just not helping him out. And, you know, obviously the coaching staff's going to have a different version of that. So, um, you know, it's just one of those things where I think all those things kind of, it was just a perfect storm and all those things kind of rolled up into one and there's a lot of frustration at the end of the season. And really, I think it's just, you know, best for both both parties for, you know, what happens to, you know, you you don't want to see seven guys leave in one offseason, but you also don't want guys that are unhappy with their role that aren't, you know, satisfied. So, you know, if that's the way they felt, then it's probably best for them to leave and to, to find a better situation that they're more happy and more comfortable in. And, you know, I think that's what happened. And, you know, obviously the, the seven guys, they're all obviously talented. You know, WSU wouldn't have recruited them if they didn't feel that way. So, you know, hopefully they can go on and have success at other programs. And then, you know, WSU, now they have seven opportunities to bring in, you know, new guys. And I can tell you they, they really, really love this recruiting class. So I think it's just one of those things where it's hopefully it works out best for, for both sides where, you know, these guys can go on and have success. And then WSU can bring in new guys that want to be here and want to be, you know, coached by Greg Marshall and have success for them. When one thing you said there, Taylor, which I thought was interesting, obviously we knew that uh, Eric wasn't happy. I mean, you could see that kind of over the course of the season as as we wound down. But uh, the one that really surprised me was Burton. I really thought the way he had improved, he had really grown his jump shot. He'd really become more of an offensive threat. And, and you know, that one that one to me was one that really surprised me. And I think that one's going to be one that, you know, that one hurts the most of all of them just because he was really developing. You knew who he was putting in time. Not that the other guys weren't, but uh, certainly he had made some huge strides between his freshman and sophomore year. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, he's, I mean, I, I love his upside and I was so impressed by the work that he put in after his freshman season when, you know, there were, you know, legitimate questions I don't know if this guy can be the point guard for Wichita State, you know, if they're going to go where they want to go. And he answered all of those questions. You know, he got in the gym and improved his shot mechanics. And uh, I think he shot like 38 or 39% from three this season. And, you know, 
uh, just really, really improved his off the, dri- the dribble jumper. And, you know, some teams were still going under screens on him and he was able to make them pay. And, uh, yeah, I mean, he was becoming that, that go-to option down the stretch late in games and, and really starting to come into his own at Wichita State. So I think he's got a very, very high ceiling. I can't wait to see where he goes and, um, and watch him. Uh, you know, I think he's going to be a very, very good player for, um, you know, some team down the road. So I'm, I'm going to be interested to see where he ends up. But, yeah, I mean, I think it was just a case where he had some problems with uh, – it kind of, you know, relates to what we're going to talk with CJ later about. It's just, you know, promises on the recruiting path. And, you know, he read in a story that, you know, uh, Grant Sherfield, when he signed with WSU, he read where, you know, uh, Sherfield said, hey, I'm going to be the, the point guard of the future. And, you know, when you you say that, you, you know, uh, you know, Jamarius Burton, he's coming off of a, a freshman season where he set the freshman record for assists in the program. So he's feeling like, why are, they, why are they promising a freshman, you know, being the point guard of the future when I'm coming off a pretty good season? So I think that just kind of created some tension. And when you have a freshman and a sophomore playing the same position, you know, both wanting the ball, you know, it's just going to create, you know, no matter how much they like each other, how much they mesh, um, you know, it's going to create that that inherent, you know, rivalry between those guys. And um, I, I just don't think they ever fully meshed with that. And, you know, it was a case of, you know, Greg Marshall trying to satisfy both of them. And in doing so, he, you know, satisfied neither of them. And they both were, were kind of unhappy with their roles. So, uh, and, you know, in hindsight, it's not that surprising. But, uh, you know, JB, you know, give him credit. He never, you know, gave off vibes of, of being discontent, dissatisfied during the season. I think all of those guys, you know, played 100% for WSU, um, you know, when they were here. But, you know, after the season ends, then obviously that changes. And, you're able to, to think about your future. And, you know, I think fans just forget that, you know, these guys, they have to do what's best for them. And, you know, yes, the fans are, you know, super passionate about Wichita State. Yes, they come to Coke Arena, you know, support these guys, love on them. And, you know, when they're in WSU uniforms, but also, you know, at the end of the day, you know, Jamarius Burton, you know, he's got to do what's best for Jamarius Burton. And if that's, if he feels like that's somewhere else, and I think fans, should be mindful of that and, you know, support these guys wherever they go. And, you know, with Eric, I can understand why people might not like that because of the things he said, you know, going out the door, but still, I mean, I think it's the same concept that, you know, these guys, you know, they, they wanted to play for Wichita state, you know, they, they've made a lot of really, really good memories in the last two years for the shockers helped them, you know, the, the NIT run. And then obviously this year. So, I mean, I think at the end of the day, these guys just have to do what's best for them. And, you know, that's just kind of the, the new, you know, changing society of college basketball and basketball players in, gener- in general. And I think that's going to be more, you know, common uh, going forward. I don't think this is like a Wichita State problem um, necessarily. I think this is more of a, a changing age of basketball problem. Taylor, yourself and C.J. Moore, our guests today, are really the two folks that have had the opportunity to talk to Coach Marshall since the roster turnover has started. You talked to him really on the front end after the majority of the players had transferred out. C.J. had an opportunity to talk to him now this week when they've been able to sign uh, you know, five and now six today with Jaden Seymour. Uh, so kind of where did you think Coach was at, and, and, and where do you think the really the as a staff their mindset is here with the program? Yeah, I mean, I think, I think kind of like what CJ says later, I mean, I don't think they were surprised by some of these guys transferring, you know, um, you know, obviously things had soured with Eric, um, 
they probably figured Anthony Gordon, you know, Noah Fernandes, you know, guys like that were, you know, they just didn't have, you know, roadmaps for, for big playing time. And, you know, those guys can go somewhere else and play big minutes and be, you know, successful at other levels. So I don't think those, you know, those kind of uh, surprise them. Uh, but, you know, seven total, yes, that, that did surprise them. I, I've seen some fans that, that now that they've signed, you know, six guys to the recruiting class, they say, oh, well, you know, they were probably prepared for this. Uh, I mean, no, they, they did not want seven guys leaving in one offseason. They didn't want, you know, four, five, six, seven guys leaving. So um, it's it's a situation where I think the, that when I talked to Greg, the thing that stood out to me was that he really did seem, uh, you know, taken back and it was an eye-opening experience for him. And, you know, he told me all along this whole season, you know, if you paid attention to the quotes and, and my stories and after games, you know, he, he mentioned it throughout the season that he was dealing with different things than he's ever dealt with in 30 years of coaching. And I think that was an eye-opening experience for him. And he, you know, owned up to it after the fact that, you know, that, that that's my fault. You know, he took the blame on that, you know, at the end of the day you can, you know, try to explain away all seven of those individually and you might be able to come up with really good cases of, you know, okay, I can understand that in this individual situation, but, you know, collectively seven is, is too many, you know, a program cannot, you know, survive, you know, year to year if you're losing that many players. So I think that that made him take a step back and, and, and look in the mirror and kind of reevaluate some things. And I don't think he's going to change anything about, you know, his intensity, uh, how he coaches, how he is in practice. I think uh, in terms of changes, it's going to be, you know, what he promises on the recruiting path and managing egos and, and personalities and doing stuff like that a little bit better, too. I think he that kind of made him aware of, of other things that he hasn't had to deal with, you know, before. So, um yeah, his kind of motto was uh, learn and adapt from this. That's kind of like the big takeaway from from when I talked to him. And I think that's kind of a, you know, that's what he's going to have to do because, you know, this is a new age of college basketball player. And, you know, he is going to have to adapt to the changing personalities of players and, you know, to, to continue to, to thrive at Wichita State. And, uh, you know, I think he's up for the challenge. I think that his response has been very impressive on the recruiting path because, he didn't know how much this stuff was going to affect them, you know, with other teams, you know, other teams can say like, Oh, don't go there. They have, they've had seven guys leave, but you know, I've asked every single one of these recruits, like why, why Wichita state, like, uh, you know, seven players left. Wasn't that a concern? And all these guys said, yeah, I mean, initially, and then I asked them and, you know, after talking to coach Marshall and the assistants, you know, I feel, feel very comfortable about playing there. And I think, that that's a, it's a testament to, you know, to Marshall, you know, he can still get players to play for him. So it's not, you know, uh, you know, a crisis or anything like that. I think it would have been a bigger problem, you know, if seven guys leave and then he can't sign anyone on the recruiting path, then it becomes a problem. But, you know, when you turn around and send six guys in, in less than a week, you know, then the, rec- then the, the reloading project is a lot better. And have you been surprised with this, the speed at which they've been able to sign those six guys? And of course, with two more scholarships available and, you know, who knows by, by the end of the weekend, those might be filled up. Yeah. I mean, I think, uh, for, for so long, I kept asking him, um, cause like I said, the first two, I think the first like 10 days after the season, it was nothing but bad news. It was just like, 
um, you know, the four guys left the first day and then, you know, the Sherfield leaving and then Mo Udeze leaving and then Asbjorn leaving and just nothing but bad news. And I was like, Hey, like, when are you guys going to have some like, uh, recruiting news or like something positive? And like, yeah, we're, we're trying, we're, we're getting close. And then I think, uh, convincing Austri Gilbert was the first domino to fall. And I think that mattered a lot to other recruits because, you know, you see a player, the caliber of Alteri Gilbert, you know, that's a former McDonald's All-American, you know, one of the best, you know, top recruits coming out in his class. You know, I think people uh, see that and they respect that. And once he said, yes, I want to play for Greg Marshall, all these transfers out of the program, you know, that doesn't bother me. I still want to play at Wichita State. I think that mattered on the recruiting path and they were able to use that as a chip with these other guys. And then, you know, after Gilbert announced on Saturday morning, you know, the next day I was texting with uh, somebody and uh, they're, they're like, oh, wow, like I'm going to have to call, I'm going to have to text you back. There's something big happening. And then I hear like, we just got two guys. And I was like, um, like asking for the details and stuff. And then by the time they had told me all the details, they're like, wow, we just got another guy. So it was like, bam, bam, bam. They got three guys. Who ended up being um, it was uh, Chauncey Jenkins and then Ricky Cancel the fourth and then Craig Porter. So they got those guys like all at the very same time. They got all the messages from those guys at like the very same time on Sunday. So they were on like a true recruiting heater. And then later that night, they got word that you know Clarence Jackson he was going to sign as well. So um, yeah, they were just uh, I think Gilbert was the first domino. And then once that one fell, that opened the door for them to to go to recruits and say, "Hey, it's okay, you know, it's okay to come in." Um, and that's that was kind of the turning point. And you know, they really did. You know, listening to them, they really do believe they got their first choice at every single thing. You know, these six recruits. You know, they got their their first grad transfer and Altery Gilbert. They got their first high school. Um, you know. Du- dual guard and Chauncey Jenkins. They got their first high school wing and Ricky Council the, the fourth. And they got their first Juco guard and Craig, uh, Craig Porter. They got their first Juco forward and, and uh, Clarence Jackson. And then uh, Jaden Seymour, the one today, uh, that was like their, their top choice for the high school forward. So um, yeah, they've, they've been pretty much, you know, throwing heaters this recruiting season and they've been able to get, just about every single person they've, they've wanted to get. Now the one thing that's left for them is a center. And right now there's just, there's such a dry market right now for grad transfers and Juco big men. There's just not a lot of, you know, appealing options out there. So they're kind of, you know, waiting their turn, seeing what comes up. And I think they'll be patient uh, with this last, these last two spots, but um, you know, who knows, like they might, uh, like you said, they might be able to, to you know, swoop in and get to fill these two spots by the end of the next week. Now, the biggest thing that you just talked about is they have different types of players as far as uh, where they are in their careers coming into the program. So you have a grad transfer, you have some JUCO guys, you have some, uh, you know, rising high school seniors. So, you know, something they didn't necessarily do, let's say two years ago when you have all the freshmen and this year with all the freshmen and sophomores, they're able to split up the class a little bit, which should, you know, uh, add to the roster construction element a little bit better. Yeah, absolutely. And, 
Yeah, as it stands right now, they have two seniors, three juniors, two sophomores, and four freshmen. Um, they're probably going to get uh, two, my guess is two transfers. And uh, uh, they're thinking with the center that he's going to be able to come in and play right away. We're going to have to see if he can you know, get a waiver. That's going to be the, the, the question mark if he can play right away. But um, that's going to break it up even further. And then my guess is for the 13th spot is, you know, they're going to take a set out transfer, probably like a guard or, you know, maybe just like the best available, like whoever can come. So that's going to be a sophomore or junior and that's going to break up the class any, even more. So I would be very surprised if they take on another freshman right now, that freshman class is at four. My guess is at least one of those guys probably redshirts this next year. I don't think like anyone has any idea right now, but it wouldn't surprise me if they redshirt one of those guys and then get to sit out. Uh, they didn't get a sit-out transfer as well. So my guess is that they'll have 11 available guys next year. And uh, like you said, you know, the roster construction is going to be much better. Uh, it's going to be much more broken up. And um, I think ideally they would want a, another grad transfer at center. I just don't know. If, I just don't think that player is out there right now. I want to talk about all of the players that are coming back and how to kind of how these new guys mesh with them. But I want to first start with Dexter Dennis. You reported today he's going to go through the NBA draft process. Now, first, I want to say all these fans, we got to stop reacting so darn quickly the second these come out. Let's remember Ron and Fred went through this process. Marcus McDuffie went through this process. This is a very common thing that folks are doing to get this feedback from the NBA, but you had the opportunity to talk to Dexter, talk to some of his family, kind of, where do you think he's at right now? Yeah. I mean, he was, uh, he's down in Louisiana right now, uh, working out and uh, trying to stay busy during the coronavirus uh, stuff going on. So yeah, I mean, he, he said that, that he's, you know, this was a lifelong dream of his. He's always wanted to, you know, he's always pictured his name in the NBA draft. And, you know, obviously I don't think he's there yet, but, you know, this is a no downside decision. You know, only good things can happen from this. You know, even if, you know, all the in-person workouts get canceled and he's not able to, you know, get in front of NBA scouts, he's still going to you know, be able to send them film from his first two years at Wichita State and, you know, get an official opinion on, you know, what he needs to work on, uh, what scouts like about his game. You know, here are things, here are little things that you can do that, that will, you know, get you on NBA radars and just getting his name out there and, you know, having scouts watch his film, you know, who knows, maybe some team will fall in love with him and say, Hey, this is a, a name we need to remember Dexter Dennis at Wichita state. Um, I mean, stuff like that. I mean, that that's the only stuff that can come out of this. And, um, you know, there's no downside. I mean, he can still retain his college eligibility and, you know, I would, I would fully expect him to, to be back in college for his junior year. He's probably still, you know, at best one year away, probably two years away before he's ready uh, to be an NBA player. But, you know, the potential is definitely there. You know, the defense, the shooting, the athleticism, you know, those are three NBA traits. Uh, you know, obviously you got to, you know, he's got to become more of a complete package in terms of playmaking and just being able to tighten up the, the handle and, and put the ball on the ground and, you know, playmate for himself and others. But, you know, the, the base is there. So I think this is a good decision for him. Uh, like I said, you know, you can do this twice too. You know, people forget, you know, Marcus McDuffie did this twice. So, you know, he can do this this, this summer and then also after after his junior year and, and get that opinion on uh, from the NBA, you know, undergraduate um, academy. So I think it's going to be a, a good decision for Dexter 
um, you know, the thing that concerned WSU fans a little bit was his quote on, you know, whether he was coming back uh, for sure to Wichita State. I asked him, you know, because uh, he, he worded it very specifically in his in his uh, picture on social media that uh, he was, um, you know, retained his college el- eligibility to play his junior year in college and, you know, not necessarily Wichita State. So I asked him about that. And um, he said that, you know, he doesn't know for sure yet. Uh, he's still, that's something that he's not really thinking about right now. You know, he's kind of all in on this NBA draft process, you know, preparing himself. And um, that's something that he's going to have to sit down with his family and close, you know, inner circle and make that decision later. So, um, you know, I can understand why that's a little concerning for WSU fans. Obviously, you know, they want to hear, yes, I'm coming back for the, the Shockers next year. But, you know, this is a lot, you know, people forget that, you know, these players are, are people too. You know, this is someone that just lost, you know, just saw seven of his teammates transfer out of the program. Uh, his three roommates, you know, he lived with Jaime Echenique and then Mo Udeze and Eric Stevenson. All three of those guys are gone now. And, you know, that's a lot to take in for, you know, a 21-year-old kid. And um, I think it's just a lot to process. And, you know, I think he's still – I honestly do think he's still, you know, undecided. He's still – you know, taking his time uh, deciding. And uh, that's just a, a decision that, you know, WSU fans are going to have to respect. And it goes back to kind of what I said earlier, you know, these guys have to do what's best for them. And, um, you know, I think fans should, should be able to understand that and support them. But, you know, obviously this is sports, you know, people are, are going to go crazy and, you know, there's so much passion for Wichita State. And uh, so I can understand the, the other other end of it too. But, you know, I think the longer this draws out, I think it's better for WSU just because, you know, the longer he stays in the draft, uh, you know, the the options to transfer other other places, you know, are going to kind of dry up and, you know, it's not going to be as easy for him to go play somewhere. And, and I don't know if he's going to want to sit out another year, um, you know, after he hears feedback from the NBA, maybe they say like, Hey, if you have a good year this year, uh, I think you can seriously be like a, a late in first rounder. And, you know, if he transfers, obviously he's, he's going, he's going to risk uh, sitting out a year. So um, that might be, that might play into his decision too. But I mean, I think this is something where he's just going to sit down with his family and, you know, the, the people that matter most to him and make that decision in the end. But, you know, if he comes back to Wichita State, you know, he's going to be, you know, maybe not the guy, but he's going to be a centerpiece for that team. He's going to be, you know, someone that that's going to, you know, be in a role where he can, he can definitely put up NBA type numbers. And, uh, you know, if he comes back with Shaw State, you know, it can be a, a pretty dang good team next season. So um, with the pieces they have coming back, I think they've only helped themselves uh, with this recruiting class because, you know, if they struggle to sign people and, you know, I think it would have been hard for him to, to convince himself to come back when it's like, like we had this good core, good core, everyone left, you know, I don't want to stick around and be bad for the next two years, but I think WSU has got the talent now where they can say, Hey, we can still be really good. We can go to the NCAA tournament next year with this group if you come back. So I think that's also helped uh, the Shockers case. Let's talk about the other three players that we all saw have playing time this past season, Tyson, Trey Wade, and poor bear Chandler. Which of those three do you think has the most upside or the most ability to, you know, enhance their game to have a significant impact next season? I think Tyson at the end, I mean, that's the, the big answer right now. I mean, he's been the, um, I guess the big winner from all this, you know, with all the transfers at guard, you know, he's the only, you know, 
uh, one or two that's coming back. And um, I think the opportunity for him to play major minutes is there. And, you know, with that year of experience and, you know, that incredible work ethic that he has, I think, uh, you know, we can expect a, a sophomore year leap. And you saw his uh, three-point shooting numbers kind of tail off the second half of the season. But, you know, I really think that Alshari Gilbert is going to unlock these guys. And the quality of looks for, you know, Dexter Dennis, for Tyson Etienne, these spot-up shooters are going to improve a ton because I think with a guy like Alshari Gilbert, he's going to be able to break down defenses and get defenses to collapse. And he's he's very good at kicking out to shooters. So, you know, if he drives to the right side and Tyson's guy helps off even one step, he's going to, you know, kick it to Tyson and you have an open corner three. And those shots, you know, weren't as available to those guys in the second half of conference play just because defenses were locking him up. And uh, WSU didn't really have a guy that could just, you know, go and create like that. So I think he's in line to, to make the biggest leap. Uh, you know, obviously Trey Wade, that's a guy that's probably going to play, you know, 30, 30 plus minutes. Uh, for WSU next year at a position where they don't have a lot of depth right now. And he's the the experienced senior guy. And, you know, I think uh, he's in line for a, a big boost too, possibly, because, you know, he was, um, you know, just was so up and down. And I think with his confidence, I think he started to get it back towards the end of the year. And I think with another off season in WSU's program, I think you can expect him to, to be that, you know, maybe, uh, 10 and 10 and six guy, 10 and eight guy, maybe. Uh, I think he's a, he's a good candidate to have a bounce back here, his senior year. And with Porter, you know, he's a, another guy that, you know, as it stands right now, I think he's probably in line to start at center. Uh, I mean, I know the coaching staff loves Joseph at Bilal, but I just don't know if you can, you know, start a redshirt freshman who's never played at the division one level, you know, right away. So I think uh, Porter is in line to start, uh, that's his job to lose. And, you know, he's going to be playing, you know, 20 plus minutes, two more minutes than he's ever played. So um, he's going to have a, a great opportunity to prove himself. And, you know, he's never really had that opportunity to extended minutes to prove himself. So now he's going to get his chance and we're going to see uh, what he can do. And you brought up Bilal. I know he's someone that the coaching staff and folks around the program are really excited for. You probably get more insight than, you know, certainly most of us do. Uh, what do you think about his game going into next year? And is he someone that maybe by mid to late in the season you could see in the starting lineup? Yeah, absolutely. I think this guy's ceiling is very, very high. And, you know, I hesitate uh, to say all these good things I'm about to say because I know it's going to put, you know, some expectations and hype on him. But, you know, I think people need to keep in mind, you know, he, he's going to be super raw. You know, he's he hasn't played at a high level before. You know, even when he was at the prep school his senior year, you know, he was kind of buried on the bench and he was playing for like a super team and didn't really get to play much besides the end of blowouts. And obviously last year he sat out. So, you know, I think it's going to take him some time to, to acclimate to the, the AAC level. But, you know, this guy's potential is, is pretty outrageous from everything that I've been told from, you know, multiple coaches and, and, and uh, people on the staff that, you know, this dude, he can play. And, you know, this guy isn't your typical center. He can, he, he can handle it. He can shoot it from the outside. You know, honestly, he thinks in his mind, he thinks of himself more as a three than he does as a five. But I think he's, he's 6'10", about 240, pretty built. Uh, so I think he's got the body to, to handle himself inside. It's just going to be about, you know, the mentality, the mindset of, you know, is he going to be tough enough to, 
uh, you know, guard, you know, uh, a center down low, like the Chris Votes of the world at Cincinnati, the big seven footer, uh, guys like that. I mean, that's, that's the question mark, but he could be a, a matchup nightmare for other teams on the other end because he can stroke it from the outside. And like I said, he's very comfortable handling the ball. He's got a pretty, pretty good handle for a six, 6 10 guy, very athletic. You know, he's going to get up and he can play above the rim. He's, you know, on defense, he makes, from what I've been told, he's, he's made some incredible blocks where he's like blocking the ball with like his elbow because he's getting up so high. So, um, you know, the, the raw potential is very, very exciting. But like I said, you know, this is a guy that hasn't played a lot of high level basketball before. So it's going to take some time. You know, he's going to make uh, mistakes. You know, this is his first year playing, but you know, the coaching staff loves his potential and they think he can be, you know, a media contributor contributor. So, um, I think that's the guy that, you know, could be a breakout star for WSU. We'll have to wait and see, but, you know, I, I can tell you that, you know, there's a lot of, you know, internal excitement about, about his prospects next year. I think all Shocker fans are excited for Altariq Gilbert. He's someone that we've seen even perform against the Shockers these last few years, particularly that game in Cocorina last season when Samaje Haynes-Jones had the, uh, you know, the go-ahead basket in the final seconds, but it was actually Gilbert who hit the three to put UConn ahead just before that. What other player that the Shockers have signed, what other guy out of these five uh, guys outside of Gilbert should we be most excited for? I, I love Craig Porter's game. I, I was able to watch some uh, tape on him on Synergy, and uh, just the the craftiness that he has as a scorer is, is very encouraging. I think that's a guy that's going to be able to come in, and he's got two years of experience at the college level. So, you know, that's a guy that, that can come in and probably acclimate a little bit quicker than, than freshmen can. And, uh, I mean, I was very, very impressed watching his, his tape. You know, he's a guy that can play both guard positions. So, you know, there's situations where he's going to be able to play with all Tariq Gilbert at the same time. And then uh, next year, he's probably going to be in line to, to start at point guard. And um, I think this is a guy that's going to be able to come in and play immediately. And, uh, you know, the defense on this guy, you know, I think the, the they just, um, you know, this is a top, you know, 15 defense this last season, I think they've upgraded their athleticism and upgraded their just desire to defend even more. And, you know, Altery Gilbert is a complete dog on the defensive end. And Craig Porter, this is a guy that averaged two steals and two blocks. You know, he's a 6'2", 6'3", guy. He's averaging two blocks. He's like top 20 in the JUCO, uh, in the national JUCO leaderboard. Uh, for both years, too. It wasn't like it was a fluke. This guy has incredible timing on the defensive end. He's got hops. He's just uh, a defensive hound. And I think Greg Marshall has just stocked his roster with guys that are super athletic and with length that can get after it on the defensive end. So I think Craig Porter is the answer to who's going to make the biggest impact immediately outside of Altree Gilbert. Um, you know, Clarence Jackson, that's a, that's a junkyard dog right there in the, the form of uh, Rashard Kelly, Zach Brown. Uh, he's a guy that's just going to do all the little things. I don't think he's going to look to score very much, but loves to, loves to defend, loves to, to rebound, so plays bigger than his size. So I think he's going to be able to play a little of the backup four. Um, I know that the coaching staff very, very excited about Ricky Council, the fourth. Uh, they think this guy can be a big-time player for them. Uh, really, they think all three of the freshmen, they, they love uh, how good those guys are, their ceilings, and 
you know, I know coaching staffs are always going to say that about guys they sign, but you know, I was texting with uh, Corey Evans of Rivals, and he, uh, you know, he agreed with them. He he loves the ceiling on all three of the the freshmen they signed: Ricky Council, Chauncey Jenkins, and Jaden Seymour. And uh, so, I mean, hearing it from a national recruiting guy, that's a little different. If he agrees and sees, you know, the potential in those guys, and you know, Seymour is a guy that flew under the radar. He tore his ACL his senior year. Uh, so he didn't get a play much of this last year. And, you know, he was getting ACC looks before this. You know, he was going to be a big-time prospect uh, before he got hurt. And, you know, WSU was able to, uh, you know, benefit from that because his recruiting kind of, you know, diminished after the injury. And it's kind of the same thing that happened to Jamarius Burton. You know, we saw the, you know, the, the player that he was, um, you know, turned into at WSU. That was the same situation where he – towards ACL in high school, the recruiting went away, and WSU benefited from that. I think this can be a, a very similar situation. Uh, they're very, very high on that kid. and uh, Like I said, they're high on Ricky Council and Chauncey Jenkins, too. They think uh, Council can, you know, he's an AAC elite athlete already, 6'5", with some, some handles. You know, he's basically like Dexter Dennis with uh, a little better handles is uh, kind of uh, how I'm picturing it, and uh, you know, obviously, I don't think he's the shooter that Dexter is, but, you know, in terms of just athleticism, he's on par with him, and he's got a little bit better uh, better handle, too. And then Chauncey Jenkins is a, a long-term guy that, that could become, you know, maybe like a, a Shiz Alston, you know, from Temple, you know, a guy that can play on ball, off ball, but he's going to be able to create uh, for himself and for others. And, you know, he looks like John Morant. And he plays like John Morant, too, if you've watched him on film. So um, that's the guy that they're very excited about, too. So really, you know, they, like I said, all six of these guys, they, they are very, very high on. Uh, all six were their first choice for, like, what specific kind of player that they wanted. And, uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's an exciting uh, rebuild, you know, on the fly. Each year since Wichita State has joined the American Athletic Conference, I think they have enhanced the type of athlete that they've recruited. And I think last year's team had a lot of good athletes on it. But what has been their kryptonite over these last few seasons? Losing to Houston and losing to Cincinnati. Do you think these guys, these six guys, and you know, hopefully two more to come, have improved the level of athlete to the point that we can compete with those two programs? Man, that's going to be tough to compete with Houston next year. Those guys are, are returning a lot of talent from this season. And, um, you know, I think they're going to be the, the the team to beat next season. Cincinnati obviously loses Cumberland and Trey Scott, so that's going to be a big loss for them. So I think, yes, WSU can compete with them, but I don't know if they're going to be, you know, uh, you know, I think Houston's going to be like a top 15 team. So I don't think they're going to be able to touch them, but, then obviously Memphis has a lot of uh, a lot of uh, talent coming back too, and um, so you know I think WSU as it stands right now they're probably you know the four five six range in the American. Um, if they get a center now, that's you know that's the game changer. If they can get someone that can come in and, and you know impact right away, uh, that's going to change things. But like right now, you know, yes they have a lot of talent, but you know they're going to, it's going to take time to, you know, to gel and to bond. And, but I think the difference from these last two years is they have a guy in Austria Gilbert who can be a dynamic playmaker. And like I said, I mean, he reminds me of Samaj Hinge Jones 
but I think he's uh, like a better decision maker. I would, I guess I would say is that he can, you know, I think Samaje was mostly about, you know, creating off the dribble for himself. And then, you know, if he got a couple of assists, you know, he kind of stumbled his way into a few, but Austin Gilbert is a guy who can, uh, you know, create for himself, but he can also, he's also very, very good. He's an elite passer. You know, he's got great touch, great feel. Yeah, the vision, you know, he sees the court so well. So I think he can be a true uh, game changer for WSU's offense, which has been pretty putrid the last two years. I was watching film of the 2017-18 team with, like, Landry and uh, all those seniors. And, man, like, it was just night and day, you know, watching the way they moved the ball, uh, the, the way that they passed, the way that they cut. It was just like watching an entirely different, um, you know, uh, just level. And, you know, with WSU the last two years, you know, things have gotten pretty stagnant and the offense has really struggled and, you know, they're not getting the quality of looks that I think they were getting, you know, two years ago and really all those years before that. And I think Alteri Gilbert, if he can stay healthy, that's the guy that can be the answer and get WSU back to, you know, playing better offense, making it look better and getting better, better shot selection. So, and then, like I said, I think this is an upgraded defensive team. So this is a team that was already a top 15 defensive team. I think they got better in the offseason. Last question, and then we'll get to C.J. Moore. You probably hear from Shocker fans more than anybody. What would your message be to fans heading into next season? Man, that's a good question. I, I think that I would say that you can you can be excited for these new guys and be excited for the future, but also be respectful and supportive of the players that have left. I think, um, I think that's the biggest thing is like, you know, when I tweet out these things about the the guys that have left, you know, I, I see all the replies and, you know, some of them can get ugly. And like I said, like, I understand the passion and, you know, the sense of, you know, these guys are, are bailing on us. They're, you know, not honoring their commitment. But, you know, some of these guys, you know, Jamarius Burton, he was recruited by Donnie Jones. Like, you know, that was his guy. So, like, he never even got to play for Donnie Jones. So, it's like, you know, when you spend all that time in recruiting, getting to to know someone and, you know, all these promises are being made and then all of a sudden, you know, Donnie Jones, he's not there, you know, that, that's tough. So, I think, uh, you know, I, I see it more from a player's view, I guess, so. I think uh, that's the biggest thing that I would want to stress to, to fans is just be respectful of the players that are leaving. And I think, uh, I mean, this this next year could be uh, very, very good. But also, you know, this is a team that's going to have a lot of turnover. They're going to need time to kind of gel and come together. So, um, you know, I don't think people should go into next season thinking, hey, we're going to win, you know, high 20s. We're going to compete for the American Championship. Um, you know, this is, you know, an unprecedented, you know, having seven guys leave. So I think we're in kind of uncharted waters, but I can tell you that the coaching staff is very optimistic about this core. If they stay together, you know, as the roster stands right now, they think they can win uh, next season. So um, I, I would say get off the ledge. If you thought that, you know, next year is going to be a doomsday scenario. I don't think it's going to be that. I, I do think that this team is going to be able to compete with the talent that they have and, uh, Greg Marshall has proved it, you know, time and time again. So, you know, I think he deserves uh, the benefit of the doubt. 
I said one last question, but now I have one more last question. I, I got to push back on you just a little bit. I think everyone that left, left with, you know, a, a kind note to Shocker Nation or at least with respect for the program, except one. And I think we know which one I'm talking about from the Upper Northwest that had an article that you posted with, with some not so good comments. And I guess where maybe fans have a little bit of a pushback is when everything was going good, Eric was the guy in the middle of the, the, the team, you know, jumping up and down, counting how many wins they had when they were, you know, whatever it was, 15 and one and, and ranked in the top 25 when things weren't so going so good. Eric was the one throwing it out of bounds, getting the ball ripped out of them by the Houston players, pouting on the sidelines. And so I don't know if he necessarily deserves the same, I guess, respect and admiration that some of these other guys do. So, And that's not bad blood because I don't necessarily have it up for Eric. I thought he had just as many ups as he did downs. But when you kind of trash the whole place going out of town or want to light the place on fire on your way out of town, do you really deserve that same respect to the same guys like Asborn Midgard and Burton and everyone else that <laughs> had that respect for the Shocker program? Yeah, I mean, like I said, I mean, I can understand that. That uh, with with after what Eric said, I will say that he his problem was with the coaching staff. It wasn't with uh, the fans. I mean, if you if in the note that he uh, put out when he left, he actually thanked Shocker Nation. I think he had a quote in my story too, where he's like. Uh, I love, you know, love playing at Coke Arena. I thought the fans were great. Um, thank you for the last two years, Shocker Nation. But we've all like seen that. the movie so, where I the think, guy, when everything's going well, is jumping <laughs> up and down and, you know, no, no, doing it. Do it no, you know. I mean, no, I think that's a fair critique. And I think, uh, you know, I think after some of these guys sign, I, I think we might hear a little bit more, um, more from them. They might open up. I mean, Eric was really the only one that talked after they left. So, um, you know, it wouldn't surprise me if something comes out after they left, you know, maybe next month, um, down the road in the summer, um, if they, they open up and talk about their experiences more, but like I said, I mean, it's just such a, it's not a black or white issue. I don't think it's, it's uh, there's so much nuance and, you know, there's so many factors. And I think it's a situation where, you know, I mean, were the players right to feel like they were, you know, it wasn't a, you know, Grant Sherfield, uh, he was just on a Nevada uh, po uh, podcast the other day and he said it just wasn't, he felt like he, he wanted to find a healthier environment to play basketball. And like, you know, I think that's the, the same. Well, his first problem is he's on the wrong podcast. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think his sentiment was shared by a lot of these guys that who, who were leaving is that they just, uh, you know, and who's to say that, you know, none of us were in practice. None of us know that, you know, what they went through. Uh, maybe they were justified in, in feeling that way. But I think that it could also be true that, you know, some of the just the, the mentalities of players are, are different than what they were, you know, even four or five years ago. And, you know, and like I said, they didn't have that senior telling them like, hey, like, it's tough now. I know I've been there. I remember back when I was a sophomore and I wanted to quit but I, I toughed it out and I'm, I'm thankful that I did, you know, you can find, you know, you know, 50 of those guys that have stuck around in Greg Marshall's program. And, you know, I've been told that the last two years he's, he's toned it way down compared to what it was, you know, at the height of WSU's power. And, you know, uh, especially when on the come up, you know, the Trey Murray era. And um, 
so I think it's, yeah, I mean, it's just a, it's a, it's a weird situation. I think that, you know, the players, they, they're entitled to feel that way, but it's also, it's also might be fair to say that, you know, their mentalities have changed and it's easier to leave. And I think there's not the same stigma of, of transferring and sitting out as there, there used to be, you know, I think that was a way bigger deal back in the day where people didn't want to leave and, and sit out a year. I think that's not a big a deal, uh, this, it, you know, in this era. So I think things have just changed a little bit. And, you know, I think at the end of the day, you know, Greg Marshall is going to have to, you know, adapt to this. And I think he is learning from it. And, I think it's it's only a problem if it happens again. And now, you know, he is. I don't. I don't think he's like on thin ice or anything. But you know, if he has another mass exodus again, you know, people are going to point back to to this year. And I think it is going to be become a bigger problem than what it was uh, this off season. I think from talking to the athletic department, uh, Darren Boatwright. Um, I mean, he said he talked to all the players who were leaving. He understood you know, their grievances and, you know, he's still supporting Greg Marshall. So if he's talked to all the players and heard their problems and he's still supporting Greg Marshall, then, you know, that, that tells you something right there. So I think it only becomes an issue if it happens again. I think coach Marshall's ice is plenty thick. I think shocker teams of the past, the players knew their roles a little bit more. When you have higher recruited guys, they have higher expectations. And when you have a bunch of those guys and freshmen and sophomores, we've, you know, we talked about this in the first few seconds of the show, you know, they're, they're going to want to have more playing time. But I also, you know, and, and I don't want to keep harping on Stevenson, but when you're on social media and I love what you saw say, and I'm so excited to go play for coach Marshall and this is awesome. And I love everyone. And then the second there's a little bit of adversity no it it was all his fault and I don't have any fault whatsoever and I you know I'm doing this that and the other I just I I can't support that but you know regardless it is a a certain it's it's a reset uh for the program and the fans is, is what I really got on it's like you get on social media, everyone is freaking out. And I know it's a, you know, a tumultuous time in the world just, you know, on its own. But, you know, let's remember this is just sports. This is just college basketball. The Shocker program is, is going to be just fine. And, you know, when they're showing all those replays of the Final Four in 2013 and all the, the great times that the program's had, maybe appreciate those a little bit more and realize that that doesn't necessarily happen every single day, particularly at a place like Wichita State. Let's take a break. When we come back, we'll be joined by C.J. Moore, who covers college basketball for The Athletic. Welcome back to Talk Angry with Coon and Eldridge. We're joined now by C.J. Moore, college basketball writer for The Athletic. C.J., how are you? Doing well. How are you guys doing? We appreciate you taking the time. We talked to you before the season when you had the, you know, kind of season preview of the Shockers coming into this year, 23-8, and you know, a bubble NCAA tournament team, but certainly a lot of change here in the offseason. You had a great athlete, or, or excuse me, a great article at theathletic.com and 
Folks who aren't subscribers can get a 90-day free trial currently on uh, an interview with Coach Marshall, his perspective on kind of this past season and, and looking ahead uh, as far as the recruits that they've gotten this far. What uh, did you take away from that talk with Coach, and, and how did you feel about his mindset heading into next season? Well, you know, I think it has been impressive what they've been able to do rebuilding so quickly. Um, obviously I've been watching from a distance and, and kind of paying attention, seeing what Taylor's been writing and, and watching all the transfers transfer out. And it's pretty jarring to, to see that many guys leave. But I think with the core, they were able to get to stick around and some of the pieces now they've been in around them. That looks still pretty good. Um, you know, maybe not as good as they've been if everybody had stuck around, but I think they've, they've salvaged this and, um, you know, I think that he has, has maybe learned from trying to, you know, you can't please everybody. And I think one mistake that a lot of coaches make is with the 13 scholarship guys, you try to find as many playable guys as you can. And I think sometimes when you have as many eligible as they had, you know, I think they had 12 eligible last year, right? They just had one sitting out. I think that's setting yourself up for having too many guys that are upset. And I've always believed you should have at least a couple, if not, you know, at least two, maybe three, even four, if you can sit out guys. Um, because I, I just think it's too hard to, to keep, you know, 13 guys happy. Can you kind of give people perspective on just how rare it is to see, you know, I know, transfers are, are up and obviously I think this year you know we're going to see that continue to go up but you know seven transfers in one year three guys that are you know playing 20 plus minutes on a 23 win team you know you just don't really see that very much do you like across the country like without a coaching yeah. change or something drastic this is pretty rare right yeah yeah it's extremely rare for for as much success as they've had and and for guys that are actually getting to play you know real minutes like if they had had three, even four, you would, you know, four, maybe you raise an eyebrow. So if you have like two or three, it's not that uncommon because it happens at a lot of places. Cause, cause like I said, you can't play everybody, but for these guys who were playing as many minutes as they were playing and for them to leave, definitely pretty unusual. Now they have added some players, most notably Altariq Gilbert, the grad transfer from UConn. What do you think he can bring to the Shockers next season? Well, you know, I had a, a, a coach who was one of the one of the other programs that was recruiting him texted me right after Wichita State got the commitment and was like, "Man, he can he can really go. Like he, he'll he'll really help them." And then I had I had somebody else in the college basketball world text me soon after and be like, "Man, he's he's washed up and and uh, he's just not the same guy he used to be because of all the injuries." But I I still think you know he had a decent season at UConn. I still think there's something there. And if he hits, that would be a really big hit because I think, you know, Taylor, you can correct me if, if you think I'm wrong here, but I thought the one thing that Wichita State was really missing this year was a guy that could, could off the bounce, get into the chief of defense, really, you know, create rotations and, and create problems with penetration. I think Grant Sherfield could do a little bit of that, but, you know, quickness-wise, he, he wasn't that quick. He, he, he had a little shiftiness to him, and he, he gave them some of that. But I think if if Gilbert is 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 healthy and you know the best version of himself, then that's somebody that can really help them out a lot. 
Yeah, absolutely. I think you're you're uh, right on the, you know, right on there with the just having someone that can can penetrate consistently and. You know, I think he's a little like Samaje Haynes Jones for WSU a couple of years ago. I think he's a little bit better with his, you know, decision making and and playmaking than mm-hmm. Samaje was, but very uh, similar in terms of quickness and just the ability to, to break down defenses and, and create for others. But um, so that's that's a great point. And then I was curious. I mean, I think me and you are the only ones that have talked to Greg uh, pretty much since the, the transfers have happened. And uh, you know, when I talked to him, he he said that you know. Like you said, I mean, he's kind of he's having to learn and adapt to this. And you know, obviously, when seven guys leave, you know, that's gonna you know raise some eyebrows, and that's gonna make you you know take a look in the mirror. Did you kind of get the same sense when you talked to him that that all of this has kind of made him look in the mirror and, and consider changes going forward? Yeah, I do. I don't I don't know that he'll change drastically, um, but I do think you have to 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 be careful with your messaging and careful when you're. Um, how you handle things and, and um, you know, it, it was definitely a shock to their system. I think to, to see this happen, you know, obviously they anticipated um, like Eric Stevenson was out. Like they, they knew that was happening. And, you know, you maybe think, um, you know, one or two of those other guys um, are going to leave like, um, you know, the freshman that, that really didn't play much, the Antonio Gordon, I'll be honest. Like I, I saw him practice. I mean, you saw him play a handful of minutes. Like the, there was just no jump shot there. There was some athleticism, but I didn't see a lot for him. Like I saw, I, I felt like he was that's too high a level. Like he, sh- he should probably settle in a lower level. So you know, if you lose like Gordon, and then and then you lose Eric Stevenson, and then maybe you lose one more, you're fine. But but yeah, to lose as many as they did, it definitely makes you you know, think, okay, what, what's going on here? What are, what are we going to do to, to make sure that this doesn't happen again? I think you, you, uh, you had a good point earlier too, about being, being careful what you promise on the recruiting trail. And that's like the biggest difference I've, I've heard from, you know, just talking to last year's recruits where, you know, Grant Sherfield, I mean, he was telling me like, yeah, Greg, he promised me, you know, I'm going to be the, the starting point guard. And then I talked to Noah Fernandes and he's like, yeah, I'm the point guard of the future. And, um, I think that's where they kind of ran into problems was um, over promising. And then, like you said, I mean, when you get 12 dudes that can all play and, and, you know, there's just not enough, uh, you know, you know, they just can't, you know, satisfy everyone. And I think talking to the guys that have committed this year, you know, is completely different where I don't think they're promising these guys anything, especially, you know, the freshmen and the, the Juco guys, it's like, Hey, you come here, you prove yourself. And then, you know, we'll give you the opportunity so I think that's the uh, the biggest change. And um, are there any other any other of these recruits that have kind of stood out to you that, that have kind of caught your eye that that you've been hearing good things about? Yeah, I asked around the junior college world a little bit. Craig Porter, me here for a second. Craig Porter. Yeah, Craig Porter. Craig Porter. I want to say Gordon yeah. for for a second <laughs> on Craig Porter. <laughs> And uh, heard, heard good things about him. You know, that team won the national championship last year, and he was a part of that. And um, he's another guy that, like, I felt like, like I was saying, with, with missing guys that can kind of create off the bounce, it's always nice if you got a couple of those guys. And he doesn't necessarily have the, the quick twitch miss of, of, you know, somebody like Gilbert, 
but but I do think, and, and watching a little bit of his tape as well, and then talking to coaches, you know, he's a, he's a guy that can is comfortable doing things off the dribble. Um, looks like he can shoot it a little bit. You know, having those combo guards, you can play them together. Um, so you know, maybe your your hope is that that he's kind of like you know maybe like a Grant Sherfield, um, because if you can play two of those guys at one time, um, that really helps somebody like a Dexter Dennis so much and a tight you know, Tyson, because those are guys that are going to go do a lot off the dribble. They're more spot up shooters, um, cutters than, than they are guys that are just going to do a lot off the bats. And I, I always feel like you want at least a couple guys that can create off the dribble. CJ, these are certainly unprecedented times that we're all living through. Have there been any positives uh, in your mind as far as the reflection that everyone's had on, you know, NCAA tournaments past these last couple weeks, reliving some of those great games? And also, did you agree with the NCAA's decision to, uh, you know, they granted the extra year of eligibility for the spring athletes, but not necessarily for the winter athletes for the the basketball players? Yeah, I think it was going to be so difficult to do that with basketball with, with having the 13 scholarships and like, you know, with, with freshmen coming in and it, it, it just would have gotten messy and complicated in, in basketball, I think. And, you know, guys going forward, once this um, rule passes where you don't have to, you can do a one-time transfer without sitting out. I anticipate that'll be next year. It's going to get really crazy in, in terms of, um, you know, what's happened at Wichita State could happen at some other schools just because guys don't have to sit out and they're going to be even more inclined to, to transfer. So um, I, I think you, it would have gotten even messier if you had, you know, made those those winter sports guys have another year. And to, to me, the only way you, that I felt like it would have been made sense is if the, the NCAA committee came out with a bracket and you said, okay, so guys that were actually going to play in the postseason, if you want to come back, come back. But to be honest, like most guys that were impact are going to be real impact guys, they were going to leave already. Like you look at a Kansas, you don't have a bouquet. He's ready to go make money professionally. Even somebody like Jamie um, is probably ready to, to go make money and should start, you know, making a living for himself. And coming back to school, like probably wouldn't be necessarily the right thing for him. Yeah, when you in when you look at the perception around what you saw say with the transfers and the perception around the country, I feel like, you know, every time one of these guys leaves, you know, that's, you know, that's the news. That's, you know, something, you know, another player hits the transfer portal. That's, you know, another tweet about it. And, you know, the recruiting news that kind of gets swept under the rug, but can you kind of just, can you, do you get the sense that, you know, nationally, People are wondering, like, what's going on at Wichita State because they see the the seven scholarship guys leaving. Yeah, I, I think for sure. I think there's le- probably less attention on the guys they signed just because the seven is just like so eye eye opening for, like you said it earlier, for a team to have as you know as much success as they've had. Um, it was a young core that that you thought was going to be around for, you know, probably th- like three years together, and that, I mean, the coaching staff obviously thought that. Like I hit in on a, in my story, like I was there last year. Um, the day that um, Trey Wade committed and like they were so excited just because they had this, this like okay that was our last scholarship and we've got all these guys that are going to be able to play together for a couple of years and you know that's what they thought and that's what they anticipated that they should have so um, yeah just to have that many numbers is, is pretty shocking and, and got a lot of people's attention nationally I mean talking to coaches 
um, over these last few weeks. And, you know, then knowing I live in Kansas city and, um, you know, kind of pay attention to Wichita state and go down there a decent amount. It's like, what's going on there? You know, or, or you got some te- text messages and stuff just because it's so unusual to see that at, at a school like that. Yeah. And but like you said, I mean, they've, I mean, they're, they're very, very high on this recruiting staff. I know talking to them and, uh, you know, especially like if you said, if, if all three Gilbert hits and he's the point guard, they think he can be, you know, this, this is a team that can be right back in the mix for, you know, 22, 25 wins, you know, back in the NCAA tournament conversation next year. What, what do you think, uh, Greg Marshall has to do to, you know, truly establish this and not let this become, you know, you know, this time next year, people aren't even thinking about it again. Like, what what has to happen, do you think? Well, I think you have to have a pretty good season, and guys don't have, you know, you don't want to see multiple three, four guys leave again. Um, and, and for them to have, like, a really, really good season, like, I think they're close. Like, I think, obviously, Gilbert, like, I think Gilbert hitting is really, really important for them. And then, you, you I feel like they, they could still use, excuse me, uh, a, a decent big guy that can kind of be a rim protector, maybe an athletic big guy. You know, if he's a post-up guy, that's just even a bonus. But I, I just don't know um, if poor Bear Chandler is like a starter, play 30-plus minutes a game um, type dude. You know, I know they're excited about Joseph Bilal. Bilal, is that how you say it right? Yeah, yeah, Bilal. Um, I know they're excited about him, but just like if they could get a really good grad transfer big man or, um, you know, somehow get an impact, even just a regular transfer that, that, you know, you can get able to play right away, that would, that would be a helpful piece for them. Um, but other than that, like, I, I feel like you just have to have Gilbert hit and then maybe one of the other guards hit and you've got enough depth and, and, and talent there because really, you know, you only need seven, eight really, really impact guys that can play regularly. Um, I, I always feel like like if you're playing more than eight, maybe maybe you can play nine. It's, I know I know Greg's always played a lot of guys, but it's hard to play more than eight or nine guys and um, you know have a, have a great team. Well, CJ, we certainly appreciate you taking the time. Of course, we mentioned that 90-day free trial for those that are not already subscribers of The Athletic. I am a subscriber. I've read CJ's articles as well as great coverage of the Chiefs, Royals, and all the other local KC teams here in the region. So thanks again for joining us, and we'll look ahead to next season. Hey, I appreciate you guys having me. You guys do a great job. Taylor's been, I've been reading all his stuff. He's, he's been doing a great job, too. And um, Thanks so much for having me. Welcome back to Talk Angry with Coon and Eldridge in our last segment of the 2019-2020 season. We'll be back with you this summer. We'll have some more recruiting updates. We'll have a 
non-conference schedule, hopefully to look forward to at that point, and we'll give you some more, uh, you know, shocker coverage here. Of course, Taylor will continue his fantastic work. I'm not sure when you slept over the weekend, article after article after article, getting those notifications, whether it's on Facebook or Twitter, just pumping out that great coverage about the shockers. And so, uh, you know, certainly appreciate what you do, Taylor. But let's wrap up our last buy or sell of the season. All right, so I'm going to go back in time. We're going to get the Wayback Machine. As we went through the course of the season, there's always talk about, is this the moment, the turning point? Is this the linchpin of the season? Where is it going to pivot? And so I feel like looking back, having a little bit of hindsight and seeing what happened, I'm going to give you guys a buy or sell. Was the turning point of Wichita State season halftime of the Temple game on the road? I'm going to, man... I will sell it because of the specific wording. I don't think, I think whatever had happened, I think it had happened before that game. Um, I don't think it happened like necessarily at halftime of that game, but I mean, talking to, yeah, some of the people in the program, that's, that's kind of the, the gist that they get too, is that, you know, man, like I, I wish I knew what had happened. You know, something was different after, you know, before that, after that UConn win, and then before that Temple game, like whatever, whatever happened, like something just just flipped, and you know that team was never really the same again. You know, obviously they they rebounded down the stretch. Um, you know, I think they won five of the last or six of the last nine or something like that. Um, so they they had you know stabilized themselves, but it still wasn't. You know, they weren't playing the same level as they, they had in that 15-1 and one start. So I don't know if it was like the halftime of the Temple game, but that's certainly, you know, that right around that time, I, I will buy that, that it, something happened right around then. I'm going to sell it was halftime at Temple, but you're definitely in the ballpark. It was overtime at UConn. It was like the Monstars sucked the life out of them. I remember I was at a Chiefs game. I was watching the game in the Arrowhead parking lot, and before you know it, boom, the lead was gone. All of a sudden, they have issues, and it went down from there. So it was overtime at UConn. That was the turning point. Nine points in 65 seconds. Nine, nine points in 65 seconds. We talked about how Coach Marshall's, you know, felt like he's learned a lot. Over the course of this season, um, you know, he, with all the changes, with all the transfers, he feels like he's going to have to change his approach to manage egos, to manage expectations, to manage roles, to manage classes. But do you feel like the coaching approach itself will need to change with either Marshall or the roles his assistants plays? Because one thing that doesn't get talked a lot about is we have a, essentially several new assistants, and are those roles still not clearly defined on what each of them is supposed to bring to the table? Is there something in that dynamic that you feel like needs to change? I'm going to sell that in CJ's article on The Athletic. There was an opposing coach that still said, you know, Greg Marshall's a hell of a coach. We're impressed with the recruiting job he's done. I'm very impressed with how quickly they've turned this around. I mean, you know, it, it's hard for people to recruit just in general right now. We have a coronavirus. You don't have people taking official visits. Basically, you have to do everything over video or Zoom or, or you know, uh, WebEx or whatever it is. And they're able to go out and basically make up half the roster, have six guys already, two more spots to go. That's impressive. I don't know why everyone's freaking out. This has been a program with a history of success. Success. Keep doing what you're doing. We'll be just fine. I'm selling that. 
Yeah, especially with uh, kind of the bad PR, too, of like having the seven transfers hanging over the program. To be able to go out and get five guys in, you know, 72 hours, that's, that's I agree with you. Like, that's a very impressive uh, feat by the, the coaching staff, too. So um, I will also sell that. I think it just kind of depends on, like, what you consider coaching uh, in terms of X's and O's. Uh, no, like he's not going to, you know, change anything. Um, I think the one thing that, that Eric kind of hit on that, that might have, you know, a kernel of truth is, you know, the, um, you know, the confidence and, you know, whether, you know, some people are just going to say, oh, he's being soft. Um, you know, you just need to suck it up. But, you know, if, if other players have, you know, I, I know that Ricky Torres, I mean, he felt the same way, you know, obviously I think he shot like 8% or whatever he did his, his one year at WSU. And I think that might be the one thing that, that maybe, you know, the coaching staff, they have to kind of reevaluate, um, you know, how they, they try to motivate these guys. And, uh, you know, if you're not getting the results, you know, at the end of the day, these are the guys that, that you recruited to WSU that you believed in. So, you know, it's your job to, to maximize those results. And, you know, I think Greg, he took ownership of that. You know, when I talked to him, he said that, you know, at the end of the day, it does fall at my feet. I've got to be better. I've got to learn. I've got to adapt. So I think that's the, the, the change that you'll see. I don't think, you know, he's got to change anything, like in terms of just, you know, the way that he runs his program, runs his practices, coaches, um, because obviously, you know, that's a proven success when you have, you know, two decades, you know, at Winthrop and Wichita State to, to fall back on. You know, it's pretty clear that what you're doing is working. So I think it's just a, a minor tweak, and that's something that, that he can do. And just a willing, it's just a matter of if he's willing to embrace it. And, you know, from talking to him, it sounds like he is. Now, we ended the season in probably the most depressing fashion, getting round, wound up for the conference tournament. You know, Wichita State sitting there on the bubble. And even right before Wichita State would have played, two of the other bubble teams lost their first game of the conference tournament and so there was gonna be that opportunity there for wichita state to you know make a case to be in the tournament so buy or sell if wichita state gets that carrot gets that opportunity to play in the ncaa tournament doesn't end on such a sour note of the season but more of these players get that ncaa tournament experience win or lose do you think that changes the dynamic on how many players want to leave the program Mm, that's a great question. I will buy that. I don't think there are seven that leave um, if they get that NCAA tournament experience. Because I think, I mean, if same situation, you know, two years ago, if you end the the season um, before the conference tournament, you know, there might have been more transfers than what ended up happening because you know that's before they went on that run. In the postseason, you know, they, they got to go to New York City and play in the Final Four of the NIT. And I think that that really did, you know, you know, in hindsight that, that you know, probably convinced, you know, some of them to, to return because they ended on such a happy note and got that experience. So I don't think seven leave if they, they make the NCAA tournament. Um, so I, I do think that that would have changed things. 
I'm going to agree with Taylor and buy that as well. Think about how many of those freshmen from last year blossomed in the NIT, whether it's a game at Furman, game at Indiana, making big plays, even in the game that they lost in New York. I mean, those freshmen were a key part of the team, and that kind of gave them the confidence coming into this year. Now, some of them obviously have left, but I think, you know, I don't, I don't know. I just had a good feeling about Fort Worth. I, I had a good feeling about how the that bracket kind of uh, felt for them. I thought they matched up well with Cincinnati, and we're going to be able to beat them in the semifinals and you know who knows you go on and 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 take on Houston or whoever on the other side so I will absolutely buy that it's not the same number although as has been acknowledged there still would have been discontent all right and finally last one buy or sell we've talked about how Wichita State struggles with some of the athleticism and the skill particularly you look at a team like Houston now they're going to be like you said Taylor probably a top 15 team but they've got guys at every position who can handle the ball, who can create their own shot, who have great athleticism. You see it on their defense, their ability to recover and, and move to spots and play help and really get their rotations down. With the recruiting class that Wichita State now has, just as the roster is currently constructed, does Wichita State have the type of athleticism and playmakers that is going to be needed to win in the American Athletic Conference? Maybe not immediately this season, but are, are these the players that can do it? I'm going to buy that these are the players that can do it. Now, I had that same thought about these players, these, this past set of players at the beginning of this last season. So, I mean, that might be a little bit of fan bias there. But as I mentioned earlier in the show, I think each year Coach Marshall has enhanced the level of athlete that they're bringing into the program. You just look at Jaden Seymour today, you know, a 6'9", stretch four. I feel that AAC is full of stretch fours. And this is no disrespect to Asborne. I don't really feel like his game fit in the AAC. And when they recruited him, that was when they were in the Valley. And so I think they're going to recruit more to the style of basketball that they're playing, whether it be against Houston, Cincinnati, or any of these other teams in the conference. And I think that's going to lead to a, a higher level of production, at least in conference play. Yeah, I'm going to buy that as well. And I think the roadmap is, you know, it's pretty simple for, for WSU to improve because, you know, if they play the same intense style of defense, you know, they're going to get after it. I think they're going to be way more versatile. Um, the biggest loss is going to be Jaime Echenique because he was such a, a good rim protector for them, uh, very good at drawing charges, uh, very good post-defense. So that's going to be, you know, they don't have, you know, maybe that's Joseph Apollau. Um, You know, maybe he's able to, you know, uh, surprise us with, with how ready he is to go. But, you know, they're probably not going to have that same level of production. But, Man, they, they have so much athleticism and length uh, on the perimeter now. I think they're going to be able to switch everything. Uh, you know, they really struggled in ball screens um, two years ago. And then last year they, they got better at it. But now they're going to be even better at the point of attack with all three Gilbert and Craig Porter, guys like that. And then you have Dexter Dennis locking up whoever on the perimeter. Um, T. Wade is a very good, you know, versatile defender. So, the roadmap to improvement is, you know, if you keep that same top, you know, 15 defense, all you have to do is, you know, not be a bottom 50 team in the country shooting the basketball. You know, people forget just how bad WSU has been shooting the last two years. I think they finished uh, even worse this last year. Uh, I'm not sure on that, on the uh, efficient field goal percentage or effective field goal percentage, but uh, they've been very, very bad the last two years. So if they can just get, 
you know, just any kind of, you know, offensive juice, then that's the roadmap for, uh, you know, improving. Cause you know, you think back to how many games they shot under 40% this last year, and you know, yes, Eric Stevenson, you know, there, there was talent there. Yes. Grant Sherfield, you know, there was talent there, but at the end of the day, you know, those guys are volume shooters who are shooting 37 and 35%, I think. So, you know, that kind of production, you know, isn't going to be, you know, incredibly tough to, to, you know, replace. And, you know, obviously JB is going to be a big loss. I don't think they can fill that shoe, but, um, you know, the road, you know, the, the path to success is, is there for this team. They can keep that same level of defense. I don't think they're going to be as good of a shooting team, but I think they're going to be way more athletic. They're going to be able to play a little bit faster and get easier baskets in transition. I'd like to see him press a little bit more. I'd like to see him go out and impose their will on other teams. That was something that, you know, particularly in the Missouri Valley that I feel like Wichita State was known for. It was, it doesn't matter who's coming in. We're, we're going to play our game and we're going to impose our game on you. Not that that necessarily has completely changed in the AAC, but I feel like sometimes they're more impacted by the other team style of play than their own. Whereas if we go back to that, you know, play angry, bring your lunch pail to work mentality, it was more Wichita State, you know, imposing their will on other teams than vice versa. Yeah, absolutely. And I think they're getting back to that on the recruiting path, too. You know, Clarence, Clarence Jan- Jackson is going to be a guy that I think fans are going to fall in love with because, you know, this is a guy that's in the same, you know, cut from the same cloth as Rashard Kelly. Like, I don't think this guy cares about, you know, shooting or like getting offensive touches. Like, this guy just wants to, you know, go chase loose balls, get every loose ball, take balls away from people, you know, just D people up. And um, I think he's going to be someone that can get back to that. And I think Jaden Seymour, you know, that's a guy who's, you know, six nine, super long arms. You know, you can easily envision him at the, the front of that press, you know, trapping people full court, you know, using those long limbs to make people throw over, over him. And, you know, uh, Clarence Jackson being kind of that rover, um, you know, trying to pick off passes on that press. So um, I think it's a very exciting time for WSU because they feel like they get, they're get they getting guys who are, you know, no one is coming in thinking that, you know, okay, I, I, I need to get, you know, 15 shots a game. You know, I think all three Gilbert, I think they probably, uh, he probably feels like he's going to be, you know, the orchestrator of the offense. But everyone else, I mean, I think all these guys are coming in hungry ready to prove themselves and then you have a, a pretty good quarterback in Tyson Etienne and Dexter Dennis and Trey Wade and then obviously Bilal and uh, Poor Bear so I think uh, those guys if they can mesh you know this is you know you can make you can talk yourself into you know thinking that WSU can be like I said you know 22-25 wins uh, next season and right back in the NCAA tournament hunt. Wasn't that what the off season is for is talking yourself into the fact that your team has a chance for the NCAA tournament next year, particularly in the exactly. fact we didn't have an NCAA tournament this year. Let me tell you a couple other things I buy producer Brian in the forge audio production studio. I believe this season three, we've been doing this here at the forge audio production studio. He doesn't do this for the money or the glamour. He does it for the love of the shockers and putting on this great show. He's the one that does the real work every single week, you know, cutting this up, making us sound good when me and Taylor mess up, you know, (laughs) fixing that as well. So a big thank you to producer Brian. Another thing I buy Taylor's coverage at Kansas.com of these shockers. You've been pumping out great stuff. Continue to do that, Taylor. And of course, 
you got to buy this program because there's just as much upside as there was before. Of course, the names on the back of the jerseys are going to be different. But the, the thing you get excited about, about being a fan, the whole reason that we do this thing here in sports is to, to see the improvement, to see the progress over time, and to see them build something that hopefully turns into something special down the road. Yeah, those are all by, by all of those. So that's uh, um, bye, bye, particularly bye. yourself, right? The market is at a low right now. It's bottomed out. No, yeah, that's not yeah, good. I'm, yeah, don't talk to me about that. But but everything else, you got to yeah. buy it right now. So, well, it it really I I enjoy doing this with both of you all season long. Appreciate the work and the time that you put in. This is something that Taylor does in addition to you know obviously his day job of, of covering the Shockers. This is something that producer Brian does in addition to his day job to you know make everything go well. So please continue to tell your fellow Shocker fans about us. We'll be back uh, in the summer to uh, cover another season of Shocker basketball. And Taylor, what's that one thing that they all have to do? Rate us five stars.